Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Hi, I'm Michal Kopeczek. I am historian of Central Europe uh, from Prague, uh, and I invite you to listen to the podcast. Hello to all our Visegrad Inside listeners, wherever you may be. My name is Malik Banat, and I'm joined here live today by Wojciech Przybylski. Hey, Wojciech, how are you doing? Hi, Malik, I'm fine. And how are you? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Thank you. A warm welcome to all listeners of the Visegrad Insight podcast as well. Indeed. And why don't we start with our usual political spotlight again? If last week we were focusing on Warsaw, now we hop on to another central European capital, Prague. Now, the space we are watching together is the very first gathering of EU leaders under the new European political community format. It's happening this Thursday, October the 6th. And the origins of this idea, particularly for EU member states to come along with non-member states, um, big players like the UK, Norway and Switzerland, as well as, of course, aspiring uh, candidates, EU candidate members, um, it takes us all the way back to May, reminding us once again of the Conference on the Future of Europe. It was precisely then when the French President Emmanuel Macron reflected on his predecessor, François Mitterrand's unborn concept of a European Confederation. Essentially something that would allow for greater differentiation to cope with the political and economic diversity in Europe and uh, also ultimately as a way to move forward on European integration itself. But Wojtek, the French are not particularly known for providing concise definitions. And as we have seen, a lack of clarity or a certain level of ambiguity on such vital political concepts can foster a sense of distrust. Uh, of course, you know, probably you can guess I'm referring to um, Central Europe's reaction to strategic autonomy. Um, according to you, uh, can the so-called European political community be a panacea to EU's integration hurdles? And uh, secondly, what are the risks that conversely threaten to undercut this process? I hear a tone of skepticism in your question. And indeed, President Macron is known for throwing things in the air um, without so much being prepared to deliver. Uh, so we hear also from Paris after our visit with the War and the Future of Europe uh, foresight report uh, from many sides of the political spectrum, from the policy experts, foreign policy experts, that the European policy, uh, European political community is not a co concept that has been either well developed or fully backed. Now, probably because of that, it becomes to be an interesting concept for uh, the British to, to be involved. And as we've heard only last week from Liz Truss, the, the British government will join uh, over 40 countries uh, to be meeting for the first meeting uh, this week in Prague. And uh, it is quite likely that uh, Britain will propose to host the next meetings. And this is something that from the French, this is something from the French perspective is, is most um, expected. Actually, this is what I hear from Paris, 
that the idea of the European political community was to create uh, not a freezer, not not uh, you know a, a blockade for some of the countries, especially in the Western Balkans or Ukraine, to uh, to be you know, forever in a waiting line for joining the EU, but to create a forum that otherwise Europe has been missing, a political forum, political club uh, of, of like-minded countries on the continent, but also those who are not like-minded, uh, that would have a political conversation about the affairs, uh, the economy, uh, the security uh, of the continent. And and in that sense, we're seeing probably the beginning of of a European G7 of sorts, in which um, in which the, the the politics of Europe will be decided um, not solely by the EU, but uh, with the participation and leadership uh, of countries that are indispensable for the political setup and political direction of the whole continent. That includes Britain, but that includes also uh, many countries which uh, today are in the waiting line to, to the accession. That includes, of course, Ukraine. Um, and, uh, well, we will only see after the first meeting if, if that went well or well enough to continue. Uh, but there are countries which already uh, are signaling their willingness and readiness to to host the next formats. Uh, Britain uh, actually is is one of these countries that uh, it took it took long to um, uh, to get involved, and uh, what we can see now is that uh, well, it is not reversing Brexit precisely, but it is making a step in in the direction which would make a reversal of Brexit possible, probably primarily based on the concern over lack of security architecture in Europe. And this is what we've been explaining in scenario number uh, two of the most recent foresight report, War and the Future of Europe, uh, in which this logic drives a lot more than just the European political community format of integration, of, of bringing countries closer to, to the idea of cooperation on the European continent, strictly because uh, we have war, or specifically because we have the war in, 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 uh, in Ukraine, in Europe, but uh, more, uh, more so because this war only uh, accelerated uh, the processes, the global processes in which Europe needs um, forms of integration in order to survive uh, politically and compete economically um, and provide security uh, in the global context. Now, I personally find this scenario forecast of the reversal of Brexit fascinating. And this directly relates to your point on this being a rather diverse club that also includes not so like-minded countries. Um, uh, this, of course, ranges from aspiring EU candidates that are growing disillusioned by the slow speed of accession, as we see in the Western Balkans, and then to more Eurosceptic camps. And this time, I am not limiting myself to Hungary, but also Turkey is worth a shout out here. Um, Wojtek, how do you see this being managed in the future? Um, what will be the potential common points and equally as important breaking points? 
Well, yes, in, indeed, uh, we see the elements of the scenario playing out um, in uh, um, uh, in this move by Britain. Um, but this scenario is not solely about Britain, although the, the beautiful illustration we have indicates that at the end of the day, um, in a in a perspective of that decade, uh, one might expect a reversal of the Brexit trend, a reversal of Brexit policies, and instead of moving away from Europe, uh, moving closer to Europe on the rationale of security. This scenario also indicates that countries um, which are willing to join and are they want to join um, have their political sponsors in Central Eastern Europe, uh, countries like Ukraine, Moldova, Albania, Montenegro, um, North Macedonia, that that would uh, would probably def- be the first in line to join the EU, would um, would find a powerful allies uh, in the V4 countries, uh, with Poland eyeing more to the east, and um, and overall the whole group, but specifically. Uh, countries like Czech Republic and Slovakia and, and Hungary looking more to the southern enlargement. Uh, but for that to happen, you would need to have an agreement with all the other members of the EU. And here is a catch. Of course, uh, there is a trade-off. There would need to be a trade-off, a political trade-off in the construction of the EU. Um, the Currently, the the bargain chip uh, remains the common security and defense policy uh, voting or taxation voting um, that has been clearly manifested by Germany in uh, in a proposal that uh, Olaf Scholz and his government leaders uh, have been voicing uh, to to abandon uh, consensus voting and qualified majority voting. That you cannot, res- you know, imagine coming up very quickly. But in our scenario, we we describe that um, y- you can imagine, although this is not an easy uh, solution and it has many caveats and may not, you know, may not be uh, that probable, but it's quite plausible, it's imaginable how it could go, that there would be a bargain between those who want enlargement and then those who want to reform institutionally, internally, without opening the treaty. Um, The so-called Passarel Clause, the uh, Article 31 of the Treaty of the European Union that we explain in in the scenario, allows for change in the pattern of voting should all countries in the EU uh, agree to that, uh, without opening the treaty itself, without uh, changing the letters of the of the treaty, and in that case, you would uh, you would probably uh, imagine that some of the countries would push for uh, reforming decision making process, while the other countries would see uh, through the lens of security. Uh, a quite a, a different outcome and would be able or would be willing to to trade some of the um, some of these competences to be to be a blocking minority I mean Poland would see Ukraine inside of the EU more likely if Ukraine would come in and have voting powers um, and would contribute to the potential of uh, of establishing a new majority in the EU as a 40 million country, 
Um, so, so the possibility of, of reforming EU internally by integrating, by putting uh, Europe together because of, of many various, as we call it, patchwork, it's a Euro united European patchwork, can be an attractive impulse for, for many other forces uh, of integration that uh, include also Eurozone accession and that may turn um, in the eyes of, of, of Brexiteers also as a uh, powerful incentive to, to come to terms with the Europe's strength, not weakness, and, and, to, and to draw from that strength. Um, and also because of that current war and the British engagement by getting more involved. That is not something to be seen in the perspective of the eight years. I mean, not to see uh, the Britain accessing again uh, the the European Union uh, institutions, but the trend may be very clearly manifested by the end of the decade, um, uh, when when uh, when there will be enough political power in Britain. To, to seek ultimately a reversal of what, what Brexit was all about. I think these are all important points, especially as we look forward to the EU Enlargement Conference next week, which we will be keeping an eye on. Um, a reminder to our readers to check out the most recent uh, forecast report that we talk about so much here on our podcasts. It was released this September and it details four scenarios on the future of Europe by 27. 2027 and it's available on our website major developments happening in the Czech April as we speak uh, but meanwhile let us not forget the second round of Senate elections occurring in the background um, last week the Czech opposition party ANO led by former now Prime Minister Andrei Babish had a rather successful showing uh, winning local elections in 17 out of the 21 major cities However, it did lose the two largest municipalities of Prague and Brno to the current coalition of ruling parties. Anna was also less successful in the Czech Senate elections. So that we found out the results this Sunday. Out of the 17 candidates it sent for approval in the first round of votes last week, only three gained seats in the upper chamber of the parliament, while the center-right Spolu coalition secured 20 out of the 27 seats up for grabs. As it stands, Anno has just five seats in the 81-seat Czech Senate. It is important to mention here, Wojtek, that the overall voter turnout was low and also occurring amid a string of rallies across the country that call for peace and Russian gas. Is the domestic political scene in Czechia less stable than one might assume here? Yes, uh, moving moving exactly to, to the center of Central Europe and uh, Czech Republic that holds currently the presidency of the EU had had these elections uh, concluded now in, in, in two terms. Uh, in, in the second uh, turn, it, um, it gave the clear victory in the Senate for the ruling coalition. Um, but there were some surprises out of these very few seats that Anno gained in, in the Czech Senate. Uh, there, are some, there are some senators, there are, new, there are politicians coming in uh, who are known for spreading fake, fake news conspiracies, and um, they're they're definitely 
uh, a small breach in the integrity of the chamber that otherwise has been known for the past uh, many past years to to hold hold steady and hold still in um, in the direction of of, of of you know integration with the West with uh, um, with value driven uh, foreign policy and we may see some uh, some shifts uh, not tectonic but let's say cracks in the foundation uh, with with some senators uh, coming into the chamber and 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 using it as a loudspeaker um, there the 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 municipal elections uh, indicate clearly of course that ano ano party the main opposition party is strong and vital and it draws uh, most of its popularity from uh, from the local and smaller settlements uh, across the across the country, um, and uh, they are also a, a protest group, which we'll discuss shortly in an interview. Uh, that uh, I mean, they're at least a party that uh, that seeks to. Uh, consolidate some of the protest voters, but I think it's not really the ANO uh, party. It, these are these are much more radical forces on the far right and far left that try to capitalize on the um, on the on the economic turmoil, and and maybe they are not so outspoken and, and visible as elsewhere. But we have seen that they are gathering; they're manifesting strength. And um, they're seeking to become a, a, an important force, uh, institutional parliamentarian, if not uh, then extra parliamentarian, shaping the, the future of Czech uh, democracy and future of uh, Central European democracy. So, uh, so with that, I, I think it's time to, to leave some room for the, um, for the answers of, of a true expert and historian. Uh, colleague who, who is joining us as a guest speaker. Right. So why don't we go first of all straight to the to the question of um, this, <laughs> the, the, not of the state of uh, Czech democracy, but we have seen mm. uh, quite worrying protests in in Prague uh, over the past weeks. First seventy thousand people coming from you know from far right, far left, protesting against um, um, against support for Ukraine essentially, and against the Western position, which um, which is not unique in Europe, but uh, for Czech Republic that was considered and still is considered one of the strongly uh, a country that is strongly embedded in this trajectory to support Ukraine, to support free Ukraine, and probably support free Russia overall. That seemed like a red flag on, on the map. Uh, and very recently, last week, we also had a couple of thousands of protesters mm. under the same flag coming to the Vaslavské, uh, the, the, the Vaslav Square in the, in the center of Prague. So is there something to be worried about uh, Czech democracy, uh, where it's going to turn? We just had uh, partial the, 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 the communal, election. communal elections. We had, we're coming up with presidential elections. 
Michał, you're you're the best uh, person to ask from a, a long point, like like long analysis point of view, historical mm. analysis. Please please allow us also to understand a bit of that. Uh, some insights. Uh, look, yeah, I'm 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 a historian. I'm not a political scientist, so don't expect a political analysis uh, from me. Uh, where Czech politics and Czech democracy stands nowadays. I think you asked. Uh, Uh, are we to be worried about Czech democracy? I think we always have to be worried about every democracy. Um, and democracy has to be uh, uh, built and lived and, and renewed uh, all the time. And democracy is also a sort of like struggle and discussion and, and uh, um, competing uh, uh, with each other. So this is, uh, this is uh, so therefore, I mean, democracy is at the living or there is no democracy. Um, Uh, whether we should be worried uh, and concerned about the demonstrations, uh, um, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, this is uh, there is a lot of uh, anger, there is a lot of fear uh, recently, but this you see more or less everywhere. I rather would, uh, when uh, comparatively speaking, I rather would say that there is um, a lot of um, anger that's so far not uh, always or not currently canalized into political struggle. Which I mean, there is a lot of anger at, in Polish or Hungarian. Uh, uh, politics, which, however, is sort of canalized into uh, party struggle. Uh, there is, of course, party struggle uh, in the Czech Republic too, and in Czech politics. But it seems to me that even though we have populist parties uh, and extreme uh, populist parties, uh, such as SPD of Tomio Okamura, now these protests uh, are coming from different angles. So it's apparent that the that the that the sort of protest scene is uh, divided, that there is a lot of um, uh, uh, protesting uh, potential, but it is not yet sort of like united. So there is a danger, of course, mm -hmm. that this that there comes some kind of unification. And we also uh, touched the uh, recent uh, communal uh, and party senate uh, elections, and there we see a clear uh, increase of the votes for especially the extreme populist parties, such as the, uh, Okamura's party. There is also a steady support for uh, uh, Ano uh, of Andrei Babish, who, uh, of course, is like is partly sort of liberal party, but partly also like driving on, on populist uh, populist ticket. So, I mean, I, I think that clearly there is the same danger that we see, you know, all over the region and and and, and Europe and uh, actually globally for a populist counter. Uh, uh, movement uh, against liberal democracy, but it seems that so far the uh, Czech sort of institutional setting, Czech uh, 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 rule of law uh, is uh, more or less uh, uh, functioning. Uh, there were always, of course, some kind of uh, internal uh, fights in the politics, but this is something that you have everywhere. So somehow I would say that uh, uh, I don't do predictions because I'm historian, uh, but uh, I would say that comparatively speaking, especially when you see the situation in Hungary, uh, in Poland, uh, the situation is, is somewhat better, uh, though the potential uh, of, of, of a populist uh, or, uh, backlash, maybe not national conservative backlash, but populist backlash is definitely there. Okay, so you, there are two elements in what you're saying, and one one element, um, basically, I think you, you, might, you might be saying that Czech Republic has been lucky so far, and I would like to understand with you, with thanks to you, uh, um, at least, you know, part, part of the story of why Czech Republic, Czech democracy has been lucky so far in the in the trend that is not just particularly mm. Central European, as a global and especially pronounced in Central Europe, Hungary and Poland case, of course. 
So why is that that Czech Republic is so lucky? And then I'll try to tease you actually to be a little bit more speculative, however uncomfortable that might be for a historian. Okay. Uh, I'm, yeah, I, I would I would say that uh, Czech uh, politics and Czech democracy has been lucky. It has been lucky uh, in a way already uh, in, uh, in in the interval period with uh, creating a country with all the problems that it had and all the problems in national policies, which created some kind of democratic uh, tradition, uh, which could be still contested, which could be criticized. The Masaryk Republic, I mean, was not sort of like heaven uh, on earth, but was, after all, still a democracy that was functioning, a liberal democracy that was functioning for 20 years, which, again, I mean, you know, traditions are important, especially when they are invoked and when they are referred to. And this uh, interwar democracy, of course, was important in the 60s with the reform movement, uh, reform communist movement and reform in, in, in 60s in general. It was again important for the dissident and democratic opposition in 70s and 80s. And I think it is also important as mythological as it is uh, in the 1990s for the population that they refer to some kind of golden period of, mm. uh, let's say, Czech or Czechoslovak uh, democracy, and that people cultivate, uh, let's say, national and political identity on the basis of, however mythologized, but still some kind of identification with liberal democratic, you know, golden age. This is this is this is uh, this is one thing which I think is, is something we can say that this is why Czechs were happy. They have their their Masaryk to where it's whom they can always refer, right? And then I think there were also uh, some lucky sort of constellations in, in, in Czech politics after 1989. Uh, uh, I would say that there were, there were many of them. Maybe very surprising thing, uh, which I would say was the long existence of the uh, uh, successor party, the Communist Party of Czech, uh, Czech lands in Moravia, or Czechia and Moravia, which, as you might know, I mean, existed as a parliamentary party until the, the, the last uh, elections with some kind of like steady support uh, in between 11 to uh, sometimes even 18 percent, which was like, uh, which was anti-systemic. Czech political scientists would call it anti-systemic party, which nevertheless played uh, along the rules. It did not uh, sort of uh, challenge the the, the, the liberal uh, democratic system and rule of law. It was uh, uh, getting a lot of uh, this sort of nostalgic uh, and protest votes, uh, which I think was one of the reasons why the Czech populist and national conservative uh, uh, part of the spectrum was never developed uh, enough in com comparison, let's say, to the Hungarian uh, or to the Polish um, uh, case, uh, even the Slovak case. I mean, because you had this kind of, kind of very strong left-wing populist, uh, uh, post-communist, actually communist party still um, named as a communist, you had this protest, the part of the protest was, vote was uh, sort of like swallowed uh, by this, and then, and therefore, the Czech right-wing scene uh, was much more uh, weaker. It's growing now and it's uh, it's absolutely symptomatic that once you don't have the uh, the Czech communist in the parliament, the uh, uh, extreme right-wing uh, populist parties are increasing in, in support. So, I mean, this is we, what we see is still uh, at, uh, in, in many ways is a, uh, is a new period in this sense. And we'll see how how the protest part of the uh, political spectrum will uh, will develop. Uh, so this is one thing. The other thing is also the formation of the liberal democratic spectrum at, in, in the 1990s. I mean, the, 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 the really interesting thing uh, when compared to the uh, other countries in, in the Visegrad region is that whereas in the other, all three other cases, um, Hungary, Slovakia and Poland, you see a very early development of the liberal and post-communist liberal part of the political spectrum sort of like developing itself uh, 
in uh, sort of com in in competition with the rising National Conservative Party. So there is a very early liberal anti-populist discourse in Hungarian and Polish politics from very very uh, early on in 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 1990s. In the Czech politics, the major conflict develops between two liberal parts. This is the Havelians. This is the mm -hmm. social liberals with long long sort of like post uh, dissident kind of genealogy, and this is the Clausian uh, neoliberals, who are both of them in favor of liberal democracy, even though Klaus later on changed um, his, his rhetorics. I mean, he's, he's one of the founder of Czech liberal democracy at the, at, in the 1990s. So they all, they all support, of course, EU integration. They all, uh, they both, uh, both these, these camps uh, support um, the rule of law, um, and they sort of clash between each other, but they are not, they are both systemic parties. They are not sort of like, they are not developing into two very different uh, visions of the world, where one of the uh, one part of the political spectrum is trying somehow to eliminate the the, the other one. I mean, so you uh, you don't have the same cleavages and, and the same alienation in 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 Czech politics, uh, at least not in the same in the same sort of measure as you see in in let's say um, mostly now in in the Czech in, in the uh, Hungarian and, and, and political uh, discourse. So I think that these are some of the some of the things I would say that the as I said, I mean the potential for a nationalist backlash, the potential for for a populist rise is more or less the same. But there were some sort of lucky things in mm -hmm. the Czech politics in the 1990s. Um, Plus, obviously, also the the velvet divorce uh, with with the Slovaks. The fact that I mean, since mid 1990s, Czech and Slovak relationship is the best uh, maybe ever in 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 history. So this went really well, and there are not really like a big sort of national and nationalist issues, national minority issues in in Czech politics. Of course, there is a lot lot of racism in in, in Czech society, uh, anti tsiganism that there was a huge uh, sort of increase in the populist potential uh, with the uh, migration crisis 2015 and, and so forth so i mean I, i'm not again i'm not saying there is no czech exceptionalism the same trends that you that you see elsewhere you see also in the czech politics but somehow the it seems to me uh, if i may allow myself the generalization that the czech political culture uh, cultivated a little bit better this kind of reconciliation approach that was there at the beginning of 1990s. Like now we are building all of us democracy, including the people uh, from uh, the former uh, sort of communist um, communist camp. Uh, Czech politics is again, I mean, very contentious nowadays. Um, there is a lot of sort of like things which uh, can go in, 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 in bad direction. But, but in comparison to other Visegrad countries, um, yeah, this um, that is a, that is a still difference. Uh, how 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 long it could last? I'm not sure. But. Uh, part of uh, part of this uh, fantastic element. So we have Masaryk, the foundations and the the political emotions around yeah. the the beginnings of the of the modern uh, Czech Republic are are super important. You mentioned also the social movement, the protest uh, party, kind of being channelized or ch channeled in the in the uh, official representation so super super important factors um and this and this beginnings of the 90s that indeed uh, look differently but how about one one more historical but also present day question about uh, the economic structure and the economic um uh, political uh, political economy of of Czech Republic which at the beginnings of the republic just like even we see the the this today have been uh, much more industrialized and therefore the organization of society has been much more you would say maybe a step ahead in if 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 history and economy goes in the same direction 
or at least more complex, mm. uh, uh, which which is differentiated it from the other V4 uh, countries. Wouldn't you say it's important? I mean, looking looking also at the economic performance and the uh, unemployment, Czech Republic was mm. the record low in the world, not just Central Europe in terms of employment. Yeah, absolutely. No, this 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 is important. I can't. Say, I mean, I don't think that we can do a, a direct correlations, let's say, between, let's say, the social structure and uh, functioning economy and the de- development of political scenes and political emotions. But of course, they are somehow related. It's very complex things, which I think sociologists and, and, and um, political economists would be better to to interpret than, than, than myself. But of course, you have a little bit different structure than uh, the other, uh, other Visegrad countries. You have a very different role of religion and also very different, let's say, potential political potential to draw political emotions on the basis of religious uh, identity in in sort of like uh, very atheist uh, uh, or at least non-denominational countries uh, as Czech Republic is in contrast to especially uh, Slovakia and, and Poland. So this also plays a role. And of course, also the, let's say the countryside looks different, is much more sort of like uh, modernized in, in comparison to some uh, sort of like uh, parts of countryside, let's say in, 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 in Poland. So uh, yeah, the let's say the countryside itself is also not in itself uh, as a political potential. At the same time, however, in recent years, we again, we see the same um, uh, trends that we see in other countries, and that is the increasing difference and also political emotion, I mean, difference in political emotions and political uh, discourses uh, between the, let's say, the centers of um, education and politics and administration, such as uh, Prague and a couple of other cities, Brno, uh, maybe not Ostrava so much, because this is this is sort of like uh, a little bit different structure. And the rest of the uh, of, of of the Czech Republic, which is like smaller cities and um, and, and the countryside. So there is a potential. And of course, also the protest uh, protest. Um, Parties are uh, winning quite a lot of support from the non-urban uh, uh, centers. That's true, but indeed, I mean, the the the, the overall structure of the society is um, or was quite different uh, in the 1990s. I think that um, in Central Europe, I would say that after all, I mean, even with, with the transition, everything, I mean, then it the there is a convergence of mm-hmm. uh, of societal structure in these countries. But of course, it does not mean that they are already at the same. Level. Okay, now I promise uncomfortable question. Oh yeah, yeah but it won't be long. Won't be long. <laughs> if uh, if if that if something wo- is worrying you about, and I'm sure there are many things, as you said, we need to be worried about democracy. But what are the worrying factors in Czech Republic that you would uh, advise to look at? You know, watch closely. In in, in terms, I mean, we, we have of course upcoming elections. Uh, we we have the global uh, trouble. Uh, spelled by the war uh, with Ukraine, many other uh, elements in play. Um, how how that uh, how that impacts um, Czech Republic in 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 the sense that it may hmm. uh, may undermine or may challenge democracy and and this kind of fortunate times for hmm. the Czech Republic. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, if if. if uh, some Czech listeners are listening to me, and uh, I, when we speak about fortunate times, I think that they will, uh, they will eat me. <laughs> uh, and, well, let's uh, I mean, let's put it like this. I mean, uh, of course, we are in the same challenge as uh, I think every country east of Rhine <laughs> is is nowadays with the war uh, uh, of Russian war on Ukraine, uh, with all the sort of energy crisis, etc. But if I would sort of like if I have to formulate one, let's say, big. Uh, fear or or concern not fear but concern is that 
uh, yeah, the Czech liberal Democrats, and I'm, this I don't mean the, I mean it in broad sense. I mean, uh, including whatever social Democrats and conservative Democrats and all the Democrats, that they are, they they might also start losing the liberal democracy, in uh, in in a, in in a, uh, let's say uneven fight with the uh, fears of the people that they you know that the Czech political elite, similarly to uh, many other countries, will not be able to address these uh, concerns, will not be able to start a real discussion. That you know because what I see in in now in Czech politics and and culture is that the trenches are being sort of dig out in a similar way as uh, everywhere else. And uh, I think that, you know, poli- this post-decision politics had many troubles and many problems, uh, but one of the assets was the uh, steady effort at the politics of compromise and consensus. Like, let's, okay, we have very different opinions. Uh, we even sort of like uh, did something uh, bad to each other let's, um, between political parties, but we have to sort of try to reach out all the time. We have to sort of like, try to find still some kind of common platform. Of course, when you have sort of a war of aggression like now in Russia, you can immediately find the, the common platform. And this is, yeah, we, we don't agree with that. And this happened also in, 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 Polish, in Polish political scene uh, recently to some extent. But I think there is a steady, there must be a steady effort of, uh, in a democratic uh, politics to, to, to look for this consensus or consensual parts of, 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 of uh, you know, uh, political space and political striving. And this is this 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 I feel really, and because I I feel that in Czech politics is more or less similar as as elsewhere that it does not I I'm not seeing this uh, sort of consensual politics uh, very much. I'm seeing really digging out trenches and uh, uh, um, culture wars sort of develop de- developing in a very similar way as we see it already for many decades in the United States. And I think that this is really dangerous. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, and f- uh, fingers crossed for for the Czech resilience in that in that sense. So thank you very much, Michal. Uh, thank you for actually being in the studio here uh, at Visegrad Insight Respublika Foundation office. Uh, this is uh, this is on the occasion of a, of a very interesting project that you're co-leading with with uh, in a consortium, uh, studying the development of liberal constitutional culture in Central Europe. Exactly. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thank you.